0: so jesus is faithful to the one who appointed him and it really begs a question and it's a question that is over this entire section that we're going to uh, read this morning will you be faithful Um, will you and i be faithful to christ and the good confession that he's given Um, so the author is going to take us back again to uh, the old testament as an example as a tool To spur us on to hold fast to Christ and the rest uh, that is found uh, in Jesus. So, Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." The grass withers, the flower fades, but it is God's word, this word, that endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, you give special attention to the humble and contrite in heart and those who fear, um, who tremble before your word. Um, Lord, we come this morning desiring to hear From you and your word to us and so we thank you for giving us this word on this day at this time and we know it will not return empty but you will use it to accomplish all that you intend in our hearts and lives and so we ask you holy spirit to help us now uh, to teach us to encourage us to warn us Uh, give us eyes to see hearts to to understand and and apply this word that you've given. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I don't really keep track of car racing all that much, but I found an interesting uh, story coming from the, the uh, 1950 Monaco Grand Prix. Um, and it's interesting. There, there was an Argentinian driver. His name was Juan Manuel uh, Fangio. I don't know if I said that quite right, Fangio. But they called him El Maestro. He was the master um, considered one of the best Formula One drivers of all time, apparently he won five world championships all when the world driving championship was just becoming a thing. Um, so an extremely well accomplished driver on well, this particular race in in Monaco, he was on the second lap and he was approaching a turn that he knew was was dangerous, a very sharp turn in the course and as he was coming up to the turn. He, he noticed that the fans lining the racetrack were not looking at his car. All their heads were turned. And so he thought, if they're not looking at my car, then they're probably looking at something more interesting. And so he, he, he brakes hard approaching this turn, and sure enough, as he comes around the turn, there's the, the pile up. But because he had braked, he could get around and he didn't, you know join the pile up uh, on this track. Um, the turned heads are what warned him uh, encouraging him to act now the fans you know they weren't uninterested in him they probably would have been watching him cheering him on Um, but their actions proved to be a great help uh, in this race a helpful warning the young church is being warned here we are being warned uh, through passages like this and these warnings serve a purpose for us Meant to encourage those who have been trusted with the good confession, with the gospel of Christ, and not discourage them. And I'll give you a little heads up here. This, this preacher is just warming up. He's just getting started uh, with these warnings. And um, those who are considering leaving the gospel and placing their hope somewhere else. And I think that this is important for us to understand. Many within the church... Okay. You, you may be one of them sitting here this morning. where You hear these warnings to, to hold fast. Don't fall away. We're going to you know, hear more of this. Chapter 6, chapter 10. And you sort of wonder if you're really a Christian when you hear this. Or if you're going to somehow lose your salvation. Or maybe if you're, you're believing hard enough to avoid some of the disaster that this uh, preacher is, is mentioning. And there should be an honest assessment when we hear these warnings. There should be a little discomfort, but not, not fear. Uh, let, let me remind us again, that if we are striving against sin, um, that that's a battle that's going to continue, that we know is going to continue until the return of the Lord Jesus. So if, that is, if that's what's happening in your life and you're striving against sin, Seeking to, to walk in obedience, to, to draw near to God, then that's a good sign. That means the Spirit is at work, convicting you. Um, so you're not, not not in that primary context in which t- this warning is giving. The, the warning is for us, it's for you, it's for me. Well maybe in a little bit different situation. There are many, it seems within this young church, who are tempted to actually abandon uh, the good confession? Uh, the pressure's on. The opposition is growing. Um, they may be um, they, they may may be receiving this opposition from other family members, from other friends. You know, sort of come come back to where it's safe. Come back to where these Jewish practices don't draw near the attention that following Jesus is drawing. Leave that. Do you really want to be the one, you know, who's that everyone's blaming for everything? You want to be the one cast off, the one destitute. Leave that behind. Come back. Um, And I, I don't think this experience is so foreign to us. Uh, It may not be your exact experience in the moment, but how many of us know family members, we know friends, who've had a bad experience in the church? or they've been hurt by the church, and they said, I'm done. I I don't need the church. I don't want the church after what has happened. If this is what following Jesus looks like, then count me out. Ready to sort of leave that behind. Um, So that temptation is strong here. Will they be faithful? Will we be faithful? Um, So the author gives some powerful motivation Uh, How to hold fast. I think we see a past, present, future context here. A past unbelief of God's chosen people. Uh, The present word of God to his people and the future rest for God's people. So past unbelief, present word, future rest. The pastor's leaning on on Psalm 95 here and this whole section is really a commentary uh, on this portion of the psalm. Uh, psalm 95 is considered this prophetic liturgy. And we, we've used it this this way in our own liturgy where it's a, a call to worship, a call to, to thanksgiving for God's people to lift their voices in praise. Um, the Jewish audience would have known this very well as a psalm used for celebration and going into um, a festival, starting with thanksgiving. And then it it gives way to exhortation, This second half uh, that the preacher is quoting here. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, the day of testing in the wilderness. And uh, it would seem that the preacher of the Hebrews here has been doing his personal devotions in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Because just a few verses earlier in 3 verse 5, he quotes from Numbers chapter 12 where Moses is faithful over the, the house of God. Well, in Numbers 13 and 14, so while he's writing this sermon, this is what he's thinking about. Numbers 13 and 14 is the rebellion of of the people in the wilderness. Do you remember what happens in that episode? The Lord tells Moses to send out spies, one spy from every tribe in Israel to spy out the land. And so they go into the land of Canaan and they're sneaking around for 40 days and they come back and all these spies say, this is an incredible land. It's marvelous. Look look at the size of this fruit that we've hauled back with us. But then 10 of the 12 say, this fruit is really good, but to these people in the land, we look like grasshoppers. They have huge fortresses. There is no way we're going to enter into this land. But then you have two. You have the minority report. Joshua and Caleb. They say, this is a marvelous land. Look at this fruit. And we can take them. Not because we are a bigger army, not because we're a better army, but in case you haven't noticed, we have the living God with us. Um, But unfortunately, the people, they go with the majority and they choose to believe the bad report. They refuse to believe the promise of God. So they're listening to the voices of despair rather than the voice of God. And this that is how their hearts are hardened, how any heart is hardened. By listening to opposing voices and opinions more than the voice of God. So God's ready to destroy them. Moses intercedes. Uh, God relents, but none of that generation, save Joshua and Caleb, would enter the promised land. So the message of the search is learn from this. Don't make the same mistake as your, as your ancestors who actually saw and experienced the deliverance of God. They, they, his saving hand was there, and they just slapped that hand away in their unbelief. Oh, Examine your own heart. See that you believe. And this is personal, but it's, it's also corporate. Encourage one another to believe encourage one another to hold fast to the promises of God and I think this is an encouragement that you and I need accountability in our lives because the deceitfulness of sin will harden our hearts. Indwelling sin is deceitful it's it's dishonest it lies to us. the deceiver himself lied to Adam and Eve, saying that to rebel against God was actually a good thing. This is what sin does all the time. Don't believe God. You know, believe yourself. Follow your heart. You know what's best for you. And over time then, the conscience is, our conscience is seared. The heart is hardened to the ways of God, to the promises of God. It sort of makes me think of finger jello. I guess it wouldn't have to be finger jello. When you mix the jello together and you pour it into the 9 by 13 pan or whatever mold you want, it doesn't harden right away. It has to sit for a little while. You put it in the refrigerator and it sort of firms up. In the New Testament, Matthew 22, Jesus is sharing about what it will look like before His return. What's going to happen. He says His disciples will be hated, lawlessness will increase, and the love of many will grow cold. The, em- the embers of love will, will be extinguished. Um, so, sin, I think of sin as sort of that cooling agent upon our hearts, that in time it just firms up the heart in unbelief. So, how do you counteract this? How is the heart warmed again? Well, we exhort one another. We exhort one another in times of fellowship, in time in God's Word, through prayer maybe it's a quick message and uh, during the week to, to hold fast to the promises of God who is mighty to save you know, keep keep believing keep walking in the faith don't stop believe i mean journey's been singing that for us for the last 40 years okay but we're not you know holding fast to a feeling we're not searching for more thrill okay we're holding on to the truth of of God to the the living Christ who is the one who thrills our hearts. That just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, If our hearts are warmed and thrilled by the gospel, then we're going to encourage one another to keep on uh, believing. So who who are you encouraging right now uh, on this course? Who are you encouraging to keep believing the promises of God? Who is encouraging you right now? If you've been a a spectator in a race, you're the one running the race around the track or on a cross country course. Then um, you know there are others who are, are lining the track, cheering you on. But you know that the spectators can't be in every place all at once on that track. Um, you know, one person is is cheering at one place, and then a different person cheering at a different place. So we're we're all in the race. There are folks cheering us on, encouraging us today to keep believing, keep trusting. But we are also all spectators. We're the ones doing the cheering. We're the ones exhorting others today in this place, on that race course, this time to greater trust in the Lord. So let's, let's take a careful look, church family, on, at our own hearts, the disposition of our own hearts. If grumbling, if complaining, if that's the first thing that surfaces, if that seems easy to us, that that's fruit of unbelief. Um, hearts are being hardened. Let's let's learn from the unbelief of those who have gone before us. Past unbelief, but a very present word. Do you notice how he starts uh, here in verse seven? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, the Holy Spirit is speaking these words of the psalmist to the church right now. Like right now in the first century and right now in the 21st century. This Old Testament word is carrying the authority and the power of God for the present. Almost as if it's living and active for this young church. So there, now there's 4, 12, and 13 ringing in our ears. There's another reason to believe. This word is powerful. This word is true. This is a word that will always accomplish its intended purpose. When God speaks through His word, it's, it's done. It's an act. All Scripture, and Paul would have had the Old Testament in mind when writing to Timothy, all Scripture, breathed out by God, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the word of God is alive and binding. Nothing is hidden from him. His word is not mocked. So the Israelites, back to Numbers again, the Israelites didn't believe this. Numbers 14. God told them what would happen because of their unbelief. But instead of listening, they continue not to believe. They say, oh, never mind, Moses, That that was a bad idea. We'll go into the promised land now. Yep, that's what God wants us to do. We'll do it. Moses says, no, God's already spoken. Don't go into the land now. It's not going to go well. But they go anyway. Okay. And what happened? God's word, sharper than a two-edged sword, the people are cut down by the two-edged sword of the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Think this through. You can't hide from God. You can't escape His word. You will give an account to Him, to, 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 to every one of His words. It's um, a living, active, present Word. So I think the imperative is pretty clear for us here. When we hear God's Word, especially as it's being preached, as a shorter catechism, number 89, we're, we're being confronted by God Himself. God is speaking to us. He's convincing us of, of sin, building us up in holiness. And it's his word that's going to prevail in your life, prevail in my life. Which means that unbelief isn't just this sort of little wound along the way. Unbelief will cost our very life. So I, I hope again we're hearing the, the counter to unbelief. This, the counter to this hardening process is exposure to God's living word. must be willing to hear this word Um, obey Uh, obedience is going to be the evidence that we're actually listening heeding the word not not just again uh, for an hour or so on a sunday morning but as long as the day we are in is called today We need to be those who are listening tuned to the word so we have a present word and the preacher uses this word to talk about a rest a future rest uh, for God's people, again, for the Israelites in the wilderness, the rest was entering into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. But in using uh, Psalm 95 and Genesis 2:2, that the preacher is telling the church that this rest goes beyond the land of Canaan. This rest is actually still possible. So there there are a few ways that we can see this here. Uh, The first is in uh, the use of Psalm 95 in the today language in verse 7. Also the second half of of 95 verse 7. So it is expanding the audience beyond King David's generation when this psalm would have been uh, proclaimed. That today is now read by every generation of believers. We also see it in, in the language of 4, verse 7. Today, saying through David, so long afterward. Okay? So long after the death of the generation in the wilderness. This was still true. So the rest that's spoken of here in Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest, transcends just resting from battle and taking the promised land. In the use of Genesis 2.2, God's rest, His intention for rest begins much earlier than the possession of the promised land. His rest began at creation. And there's there's no closure to that seventh day. It continues and there remains an opportunity to enter into that rest. So again, transcending the space and time experience of israel Um, there are various interpretations here but i i think the already not yet of those who believe really helps us understand the rest the best god's rest is a spiritual reality it's a rest that we strive to enter It's a rest we enter right now by believing and holding fast to Christ, but it's a rest that will be completed and consummated when the Lord Jesus returns. Um, So this is future. It's future. We anticipate a rest that awaits in glory. Amen? We look forward to this? Um, The rest from our labors rest from the, the suffering that we have shared with Christ. You know, whenever we feel that weight, that weight of weariness of life, I mean, that should just deepen our longing for this rest with our Savior. That grand Sabbath celebration uh, that awaits. But We're just warming up, right? We're, we're expressing that celebration today. We're resting from our, our weekly labors just by being here. It, it, God models this for us, celebrating a new life that we have in Him. It's always been the Creator's design that our rest would be in Him and with Him. So when we cease, we cease from our labors on a day just like this, it requires that we trust the Lord. That we believe in His provision and His care beyond our planning and our perceived control, and this and this this isn't easy. It actually takes striving, takes work to rest. Verse eleven. Striving to believe and trust Christ for this, to believe His word, to wait upon His promises. And so our faith right now is is moving us in this you know, lifelong process. Of entering and enjoying God's rest the generation of the Israelites you know they didn't enter the rest because of unbelief and that's what makes an important point I think for us Um, someone can be identified with the covenant community Um, someone can be identified with the visible church and enjoy even enjoy the blessings of life in that church But it does not guarantee the blessing of eternal rest. Um, And we identify this through, uh, communicate this really through baptism, identifying a child who may be brought into the the covenant community, identified with the visible church. Yet God searches the heart. Um, He knows the invisible church, made up of all those who believe, past, present, and future, who hold fast to his word. So may you and I be among among those striving to enter that rest that God alone has made possible through His Son. The passage really stresses, as one commentator notes, that deep privilege entails deep responsibility. We have been entrusted with the words of life. We are exhorted to believe. And those... You know, those who are alive to the word of God, they're, they put their faith in that living word. Um, as the Getty hymn so beautifully conveys, this word teaches us full obedience, holy reverence, and true humility. It tests our thoughts and attitudes. This word is power that can never fail and truth that prevails over unbelief. So may that word prevail over our unbelief today. Hold fast, church family. Hold fast. Guard against the deceitfulness of sin. Live, Live out of the rest that is yours in Christ. Because it's only going to get better and better and better for the day of eternity. Let's praise Him for that. Lord, we thank You for the rest that we have in Jesus. Lord, we don't just sit back as we've been warned in this passage, but to guard against unbelief, to strive to enter into this rest that is ours now and forever. Um, Lord God, help us. Help us through your living and active word. We thank you for its meaning to us today. In Christ's name, amen.